voice. So special. Welcome, guys, listening online. Glad you could join us this afternoon. Welcome, Chicago cohort. How y'all doing on this beautiful, sunny spring afternoon? It's a great day. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. I'm going to welcome up in the batter's box our pastor and visionary leader, Joe Y. Rostek. Amen, amen. Let's do it. All right, guys, let's open up to Romans chapter 6. Thank you. Just making sure my vocals are coming through. Okay, Romans chapter 6, flowing right out of Romans chapter 5. This is exciting because this gets into sanctification today. So now we get to discuss progressive sanctification or different views of sanctification versus entire or complete sanctification, or in other words, Christian perfection, as we like to term it around here, the finished work of Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through death, uh, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let me just address this real quick here. The baptism here that the Bible says is what has buried you is not literally the water. It is a symbol of The water symbols what spiritual has happened. It symbolizes what spiritually has happened. So like last week when I was talking to the oneness Pentecostal who uses Acts chapter 2 verse 38 to say we have to be baptized to have our sins remitted, they use scriptures like this to prove their point as well as the church of Christ like Duck Dynasty. Those guys believe you have to be baptized to be saved. Now the difference between Duck Dynasty Church of Christ folks and the oneness Pentecostals is the church of Christ doesn't have the wrong doctrine of God and all the other things wrong. They just have what it takes to be saved. And so technically, it's a salvation by works. It is not by faith alone, through grace alone. Now, let me just explain this to you through the context of Romans. Has Paul anywhere in his theological descriptions of salvation mentioned baptism as a part of it? No, let's just go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and see exactly where the power of salvation lies. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, uh, not 18, did I say 18? Okay, sorry, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. Sir, can you please keep up with me today? Yeah, thank you. Go ahead and can you swipe it? Yeah, there you go. Go the other way. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Whoop, there it is. He got it. I'm teasing him. Romans 1.16. I want everyone to look at it. And I know you got your Bible this time, right, Jackie? Okay. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now look at verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Anything about baptism there? Anything that says your baptism determines your salvation. Does anything there say that your baptism determines your righteousness? No. So is Paul going to contradict himself when he mentions baptism in chapter 6? No. What he is simply saying is why we're baptized. The reason we're baptized is to symbolize the death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus. So here's the thing you bring at him. Number one, did Paul mention baptism in the context of Romans? No. The gospel is what's saved. Then going to the actual thing that Paul does mention, he says, we were put to death in baptism. And they'll go, yeah. I'll say, do you agree that we were put to death in baptism? Yes. Was it literal? Yes. Meaning I wasn't saved without it. Yes. Okay. So am I raised to life literally now in the new creation, resurrection as I came out the water? See, it falls apart in its own con- in the own context, doesn't it? Look at what it says. We who were baptized with Christ, were we not baptized into his death? If they want to take that literal for salvation, like the baptism water literally means I was put to death at that moment, what does it mean then to keep going? What, what happens in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. So is the new life a literal raise from the dead? Have I got the resurrection from the dead yet? No, I've got a literal spiritual resurrection. Yes, I have a new life spiritually, but you're trying to use the water to mean it physically. You're trying to mean physically when I went into the water, my spirit literally died, and then it literally came alive. If that's what you want to do, then that water means when my spirit came alive, my physical body had to come alive. Because if we're still waiting for the physical resurrection to come, then that means all the baptism in the water is doing is symbolizing the spiritual baptism or the spiritual submersion in the Holy Spirit when we were crucified with Christ, buried and rose with him, born again. And so they'll say the same thing in John 3, verse 3, born of, uh, verse 4 rather, born of water and spirit. Let's just go there real quick, and then I'll get into our sanctification message. We just want to address this. John chapter 3, verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What is the water, according to the Bible? The water is the washing of the Word. Now, some people just take it as Jesus just reiterating himself. Spirit and water are the same exact thing. But if you want to use the water as something different, it's through the washing of the word. Can you find that passage for me, please? Just Google it, washing of the word. And so when we go back to that passage, you can't have it both ways. If I am literally getting changed by water, then that must mean I must be literally getting a physical new life. But if it's a spiritual thing that happens in the water, then spiritually I get new life with or without the water. Or according to them, the consistent thing would be I have to have the spiritual life in the water. Get, get a board for me. I want to draw it out. Help me help 
me explain it a little bit better because sometimes I get myself confused. Um, the idea here is simple, is that you have to take it within its own context. And if it contradicts itself in its context, it can't work. And so we'll show you what it is. Uh, he should be looking up a scripture for me, but he's getting the board. Can someone look up the scripture, washing of the word, please? Thank you, Ephesians 5.26. Let's turn there, just so we can get the water there, and then I'll show you. Ephesians 5.26. Ephesians 5, 26, to make her holy, talking about, let's go back, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So how do we get cleansed from all of our sins? It's through the washing of the word. Is it literally the physical baptism that does it? No, it's the, the washing of the word. Okay, so get that set up for me nice, nice and good. And I want to draw out how we can show them what baptism is, okay? Is that as high as it goes? Yeah, can you set it up to be about like this high, like to where like it's like up here? Yeah, thank you. When we look to the scriptures, baptism is mentioned simultaneously with salvation because it's the thing we do after we're saved. That's why the Ethiopian eunuch got baptized after they were saved. And then I was even speaking to the person, and I said, what about in Cornelius' house? When did they get the Holy Spirit? Everybody look at me, please, instead of this handsome man putting that up. I know it's a distraction, but let's stay up here, focused up here, okay? I asked him, when did Cornelius' folks get baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, before or after their baptism? before their baptism. So can you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit without being saved? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Okay, so he's still working on that. We're just going to take our time, okay? But as he's working on that, remember that Acts 2.38, as we've been there before, let's just go there while we're waiting for him, please. Acts 2.38 teaches us how we are to view the salvation package, not what we're doing just to receive salvation. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. Okay, but where was I saved in this? At the repentance. Where was I saved in this? At the receiving of Christ. That's what Paul says in his theological letter in Romans, right? Thank you. Yep. That's, that's, does it look even to you guys? That, that's when we are saved. Now then it goes on, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Well, for the remission of our sins, is it the baptism or is it the repentance? It's the repentance that gives you the remission of your sins. Because when he preaches repent in other places, when he teaches them to be saved, Peter, in other places in Acts, does he say you have to do it for the, uh, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? No, let's go to the, uh, the jailer. Or that's with Paul, rather. But let's go to um, Peter preaches again one more time, I believe. He, I know he preaches in front of the... the, the um, the Jewish leaders, chapter 10 is at Cornelius' house, so we know that they are saved before they are water baptized, okay, and then, okay, so let me, let me use the same book, but let me go to, to Paul preaching to the jailer, okay, Paul chapter 16, when they get freed, look at what he says, 16 verse 31, please. Book of Acts, verse, chapter 16, verse 31. They replied, Peter and Silas, well, let's go to verse 30. 
He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay? So does the baptism get attached to being saved there? No. It's really only mentioned with Peter in that part of Acts. All of the rest of the times, baptism is not mentioned in receiving salvation. Why do I believe it's mentioned in Acts? It's because Acts is describing the whole package. But where do they actually receive salvation? Where do they receive forgiveness of sins? They receive it at the moment of repentance, not at baptism. That's why Cornelius could have it before baptism and his, and his family members. And that's why here he doesn't say believe and be baptized to be saved. He says believe. And let me just show you one more place because they may take you to Mark chapter 16. And they may say, well, it says whoever believes and is baptized, pastor, and is saved. Yes, because once again, that's describing the package. But what does it say right after that? Whoever does not believe shall not be saved or is damned. And so when it says whoever believes and is baptized is saved, that's talking about the package as Acts 2.38 does. But then when it's whoever is condemned, it's those who don't believe. He does not put in that, does not believe, and is not baptized. Romans chapter, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. We'll do physical, and then we'll do spiritual, and then we'll come back to the Romans 6. Does everybody see that? It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So they'll say right there. See, it says that you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, why does it say afterward, but whoever does not believe will be condemned? It doesn't say whoever does not believe and is not baptized is condemned. It's whoever does not believe. Once again, the salvation package is always believe and be baptized. That's the way Christianity works, believe and be baptized. Everybody get that? Amen. Now let's go back to the context. We've already showed you that Paul's not going to contradict himself in Romans. And so now we're going to say, what is happening at the baptism? Is the baptism water, is the baptism water literally, physically washing away sins and rebirthing our spirit. If it is doing that, then that means we should have the resurrection after the baptism because the baptism is a physical thing we do. It is a physical thing. And it physically, being in there, results of you spiritually getting sins washed away. Well, if that is physical water resulting in sins being washed away, and you having a rebirth in your spirit, then you should physically be experiencing a resurrection. You should physically have the full package. But if the physical water is a spiritual metaphor for what God has already done in your soul, then that is why you still have sinful flesh and you're waiting for a resurrection. Because remember, he said here that at the baptism, we are dead with Christ, and then we're made alive with Christ. Now, is the dead a physical death? No. The death is a spiritual symbol. In the alive, is it a physical, new? do I come out of there with my body looking different? No, I spiritually come out of there with a representation of my soul. And so you can't have it both ways. You can't say that the physical water 
washes away your sin. Let's just go to the one in Peter, and I'll show you exactly this here as well. Go to uh, 1 Peter, about the washing of baptism, how it was, I think it's 2 Peter, rather, in Noah's time. And this is a sign of things to come. must be 1st Peter. Let me see it here. 1st Peter. Mm. Oh, it's got to be 2nd Peter then. Look up baptism. Did you find it? Three, four, it was coming since it did. No. It was formed out of waters. Yeah, I found that, but that's not it. It is, um, uh, somebody Google baptism now saves you. Bapt, uh, baptism now saves you. Uh, Google that phrase for me, please. Put baptism now saves you Bible. What, what verse is that? Thank you. First Peter 3.21. Let's go to uh, verse 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, power, and uh, and with angels and authorities and power in submission to him. So I'm going to start this again with this passage so everybody can see it, as well as Romans 6. And, 6. and Jared, I'm going to have you erasing from this point on because this thing's not sturdy for me to erase, okay? Thank you. So once again, let's go physical, let's go spiritual. Are we saved physically by going into water? No. No. We're saved physically by the water coming into us at salvation. So is the water that saves us, according to John 3, 5, it was John 3, 5, right? No, it was John 3, 4. Go to that other passage. You know how to go to that next one up there? Yep, right there. Go John 3, 4. Is it 5? It was 5. Okay, just put it, just have it up there, and if it's getting stuck, that's okay. Just when, you, when it gets unstuck there. So is... The water that saves, is it physical or is it spiritual? The water that saves, spiritual. And then put up there the other one, um, and the third, third one over. Yep. What was the washing, Ephesians 5, 26. Thank you. Get those all there for us, please. And then put, uh, put next to that for the fourth one. 
put uh, the first Peter 3.24, 3.21. Okay, there you go. Okay, now, he says here that the water of the floods symbolizes baptisms, baptism. Now, is that symbol talking about us spiritually being saved by the washing of the water according to Ephesians, or is it talking about physically going into a tank? What is he talking about there? Spiritual. How do we know that? How do we know it's spiritual? Well, no, the, the, the physical water of Noah's flood is the symbol now of our baptism. So there's not a symbol within a symbol in that sense. But how do we know that this water is not the water of baptism? No. Well, that's close because it does save you. And we know the water of baptism doesn't save you, that, but that would be arguing in a circle. You're basically saying the water of baptism doesn't save you because the water of baptism doesn't save you. Not the removal of dirt. You see, it's right there. You see how all false doctrines are always corrected in the context? So the water that Peter is talking about, is it a spiritual water or is it a physical water? Spiritual water. And how do we know that? Because it says it's not the removal of dirt from the body. That is the physical washing that baptism does and what Jewish people did and Muslims still do to this day, these washings, okay? This is not a physical washing. It is spiritual, and it then tells you, and you could have gone to another place, but I'm glad you went first, not the removal of dirt, but it reiterates it. It says it's not the removal of dirt, but the pledge of a what? The pledge of a what? Come on, one more time. The pledge of a what? A clear conscience. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Familiar language to Romans chapter 6. Does, doesn't have the familiar language. Death, burial, resurrection. But it's all speaking about the spiritual. Now go back to Romans 6, please. Should be your first one. Oh, you already had it there? Now put Romans 6. That's good, please. Now, Romans chapter 6 says, let's go to verse, yeah, start right there. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into Christ Jesus, is that physical or is that spiritual? So being baptized into Christ Jesus is spiritual. Okay, let's keep going. We're baptized into his death. So when I say that when I was baptized into Christ's death, did that come from water? No, that came by faith in the gospel as we already were taught in Romans 1.16. The righteousness that I get was all given to me spiritually. Follow me now, okay? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The new life that I now live, is it a physical, resurrected body, new life? No. What kind of new life is it? 
spiritual new life. Do you get it? That's how to interpret it. Now, what do they try to say? They try to say when you go into physical water, these spiritual things start to happen. If that is true, if my body had to be in all of that, what should then also happen to my physical body? I should get a new physical life. Do you get it? But I don't get a new physical life. I get a new spiritual life. Therefore, the water and all that took place at the baptism had nothing to do with anything in the physical. It had everything to do within the spiritual. So why do I actually get baptized in water and have dirt removed from me? Why do I get washed and dunked in it? To symbolize this, to symbolize the spiritual, not to enact anything in the spirit, but to symbolize what has already happened. It is a physical reminder, a physical show of what God has done. And it's the same thing with communion. So oneness Pentecostals, as much as they don't like Roman Catholicism, they're acting just like the Catholics because Catholics believe in baptismal regeneration. That's why they baptize children. Because then their spirits is getting regenerated. That's why they believe that, you know, the communion is physical, uh, spirit, uh, is physical and has spiritual implications. They take things from the physical realm and import it into the spiritual realm, both in communion and baptism. Baptismal regeneration is a false doctrine. It is not taught in the scriptures. If it was taught in the scriptures, why would Paul write? Let's, let's go here. Let's go to the number five one, please. Why would Paul say in Corinth, I didn't come baptizing? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he's talking to the people and there's all these fights going on between them. And they're talking about, I'm with the Paul, I'm with Apollos. And Paul says, man... I'm nothing. Follow Christ, right? But then he tells us a little thing about baptism and how he regarded it not as important as actually preaching the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 13. Thank you. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now remember this, when we talked about why it's not named Jesus, it's in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and because Acts says they baptize in the name of Jesus, it's because it's the name that represents the authority. They weren't baptized in the authority of Paul, in the authority of someone else. It was the authority of Jesus, and the authority of Jesus gave us the baptismal words to say, which is in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why in the same book, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, when Paul runs into John's disciples, he says, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. But when they were baptized by John, he didn't say in the name of John, it was just John's authority to baptize for the name of God or on behalf of God. And so when we say be baptized in Jesus' name, it's, what that means is in Jesus' authority. Do it Jesus' way. That's why we never see the early church baptizing in the name of Jesus be baptized. It's always in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they prescribe how they do it later on, even just within a few years of the New Testament in the Didache. It's a new modern reading to think when they say in Jesus' name, that literally meant they said in Jesus' name be baptized. 
No, Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then once again, if you say Jesus is the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, you've got many problems. But let's just stick right here. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Siphonus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So now you see that the, the juxtaposition Google that word, juxtaposition, make sure I used it right. You can juxtapose, but I want to see if there's actually a word, juxtaposition. Okay, juxtaposition. What does it mean, good sir? The fact of two things being seen or placed close together with contrasting effects. Good. The juxtaposition here is there is a physical baptism we do. There is a physical communion we take. But we are not literally eating Jesus. We are not literally being washed of sin. We are not literally being raised to new life in that baptism. We are getting spiritual things by the Spirit, by faith, and then we do physical things to show what the uh, the spiritual has done. And so the spiritual comes first, then the physical. You're born again, you're serving Christ, now you take communion representing how he was, he was crucified for you, washed you of your sins, he gives you his flesh as his word, the words, and you live off of it. You then get baptized to represent that you were spiritually reborn, spiritually washed of sin, spiritually have a new life. You're not getting, phys- you're not getting spiritual results from physical things They are symbols of the spiritual things, and you can't have it both ways. If you think the physical water does these things, then you also have to believe that it does everything else, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It only is there to represent. Amen. I didn't know I was going to go that thorough, but I think you guys got a good lesson to refute baptismal regeneration. Amen. So let's go now back to Romans chapter 6, and we'll talk about sanctification now. For if we have been unified with him in a death like his, we will certainly, and Jared, can you also erase that, please? We will certainly also be unified with him in a resurrection like his. Once again, if the death is literal in baptism, the resurrection has to be literal. But doesn't the baptism just represent a spiritual reality that I was dunked down and I come back up? And that's the reality then my body's going to go through. The reality my body's going to go through is it's going to die, go in a grave, and come back up again. That's the physical reality that will then come afterward of what spiritually has happened. But baptism doesn't make any of those realities come true. The baptism doesn't make the spiritual reality come true. And the baptism doesn't make the physical hope of the resurrection come true. It is a powerless symbol. Powerless symbol. Okay? And that's all that it is. And it just represents what God is doing in the earth and in your spirit. So... If we now have suffered the death by 
dying to our flesh, we will be raised with him one day at the resurrection and have a new body. This is so important to understand. Why does he bring up the resurrection and the body right here? Is because what he is now going to teach us is everything about sanctification and what most people, even in the assembly of God now, uh, get wrong, okay? And that is the assemblies of God used to be like how we are now, and they are the ones that have changed on this. When we talk about the self, who you are, you are now born again. You are now righteous. Does everybody get that? And how many yous are in you? One. But does the self live in a body right now? Yes. So what are we waiting for in this body? We are waiting for the resurrection, which brings perfection. The resurrection brings perfection. Do we have that yet? No. Guess what Paul is going to call this body? Paul is going to call this body the flesh. He is going to say that this is the root cause to all of your sinful temptations and desires right now. He is never going to say that the body makes up plus yourself called something the sinful nature. The Christian does not have a sinful nature. You are not two natures. You, the you, are a spiritual creature living in a body. And when your body dies, you, that same self, goes to be with God. Death is not your savior. You don't get born again after your body dies. The perfect holy you goes to heaven. So where is the imperfection now? Where is the temptation now? It's in your body. And your body, Paul is going to teach, can I get some water please, Jared, is an it. It is not you. And so the King James will confuse you, excuse me, the NIV will confuse you because it keeps calling it the sinful nature. So you're going to think you have your born-again nature here and then you have a sinful nature here, and then you live in a body here. And that's how they're going to teach it to you. They're going to basically teach it to you like, well, your spirit was reborn, but your soul is still sinful. Can you erase that, please? Thank you. And that's nonsense. That is not at all what Paul is going to teach here, and this is going to make perfect sense when we get to Romans 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. You're going to see that's Paul as an unbeliever, because I'm going to hop and skip through some of that right now so that you can see it in its clarity. Thank you, sir. I'm going to set my Bible here and just, you help me out here on the scriptures. Thank you. See, what is the flesh? Is the flesh a nature in and of itself? No, the flesh is literally a physical body with five senses. That is all the flesh is. But what are they going to say the flesh is? They're going to say the flesh is equals your soul and your body. So they're going to make it sound like that you're schizophrenic, that your spirit's been saved, your spirit's perfect. They'll agree with that. That was born again but your soul is still wicked and evil. And so when you die, you'll be freed from this wicked, evil soul and be transformed to be like Christ spiritually. But is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely not. That is so confusing. That is not at all what Paul is trying to get across. Let me just hop the first Peter real quick, and then I'll just drill it down with Paul. 
But I want to show it to you with First Peter, you know, as I'm wanting to make this as clear as I can. Look at First Peter. Look at what he says. First Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-two. Now that you have purified, and now we're going to start using the King James. Go to the original. Go to the original one. Put in the verses that I'm now saying, 1 Peter 1.22, and then skip over where it says KJV with the crown. That's so cool. It's got the crown there. We're going to use the more precise language in the King James. Go ahead and click it. Of course, it's going to stall there. Okay. There we go. Seeing you have purified your what? Your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So is your soul purified? According to the Peter, your soul is purified. Now, let me show you what the flesh is doing against that soul. Go now to chapter 2. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter, you can just keep scrolling. Verse 11. Stay, no, no, stay on King James. Okay, well, that's fine. Chapter 2, verse 11. Yeah, you got to go to 1 Peter, my man. That's okay. Just keep up. It makes it easier when we stay together. Thank you. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Where are the lusts coming from? The flesh, abstain from freshly lust that war against your soul. So they war against your soul. The flesh is warring against your soul. Well, what's the flesh? A guy asked me, and I said, your body, your flesh. Oh, no, it's got to be something more spiritual than that. No, no, it's literally your body. Is somebody in a coma right now getting tempted with pornography? No, because their sinful flesh has nothing to tempt them with. Your sinful flesh is more well-designed than an animal. And an animal without a spiritual soul can have every single kind of temptation as complex as you do right now. It can be jealous. It can be agitated. A dog can be jealous and agitated. A dog can be uh, turned on. A dog can be, you know, perverted. A dog can do, uh, an animal can do all that. How much more so do you think the fallen hard drive of your brain is operating against the spirit? So we don't have to get mystical here and be weird about it. They, they accuse us of oversimplifying it, and we can and rightly accuse them of being unbiblical and mystifying something that was never meant to be mystified. It is clear what the flesh is. It's your body. Paul is going to say that. Now just go, swipe over to the notes, please, because we're there in Romans 6. It says, we, for if we have been united with him in death, that's spiritual. I'm not dead right now, right? So it's spiritual, watch. We will certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like him. So that means if, I, if now I have suffered death spiritually, I'm going to physically rise. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. For we now know that our old self, the old sinful soul in a sinful body, that is the old self, a sinful soul in a sinful body. Does everybody get that? was crucified with him so that the body, the soma, 
would not be ruled by, that the soul, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So are you set free from sin? Yes, you're set free from the sin power of your body. And we'll talk about that as we get to Romans 7. Now if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So we know he can never die again. He's got his physical body perfect in heaven, which that for contradicts the the oneness Pentecostals as well. He has to be the Holy Spirit now. But the Bible says he still has his body. Come on, somebody. He was raised to death with a body, yes or no. He didn't come back down then as a dove. And if you go to Roman, uh, uh, John 14, it says very clearly, I go to the Father and we will send him. They're not schizophrenic, okay? So the oneness Pentecostals lose everywhere here. Now look at this in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's this spiritual understanding. You were once dead, now you're alive in your spirit. Do that right. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your what? In your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. So if somebody looks at me and goes, well, the body just laying by itself can't do anything, you know, so how is that the flesh? The flesh has to have something to do with your soul. I said, I said, listen, when the body dies, it has no power. As long as it has life, it has power. I don't know how an animal gets to be jealous. I don't know how, I mean, you know, we know that it does it somewhere in its brain and all of that, and it has nefash, life breathed into it, uh, life in it as well, but not breathed into it. The image of God came to us through the breath of God, but we both have nefesh, the life of God. So life in the body, when the body is sinful, has evil desires. Until the body is resurrected, it will have sinful desires. It will war against you. The brain, the senses, the feelings, the nerves. I get so passionate about it, right? Because I just don't get why they don't see it. He literally says, your mortal body and its evil desires. Now go to Romans 7.24, please. At the end of when Paul is talking about these things I don't want to do, I do, and what I, what I do, I don't do. You know, look at what he says at the end. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who delivers us from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, this is the born-again man now, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. The law of sin is still upon the flesh. That's why it must die. John Wesley used to teach that Christian perfection went all the way through the whole body, that you then became like another Adam at being born again, literally. But where was John Wesley wrong? The body still dies. Adam body, Adam's body would have never have died if it wouldn't have sinned. So now if I'm cleansed of all original sin in my physical body, then why does it get sick and die? 
So I still have a body that's under the law, the penalty, the condemnation of sin. But thank God I'm set free from this body of death. I'm set free from it. Aren't you set free from it? You don't have to live by your emotions, your feelings. You don't have to live by every thought that comes into your head. You are free from it. Keep reading Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I am free from my flesh. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Didn't Jesus have a perfect soul? So he just took on flesh, right? His soul never changed. He was always Jesus, the Son of God. So the body physically dies. So that our body can, so we can be free from it and that when it dies, we get resurrected. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Remember, your mind is different than your brain. And your brain has a, has a relationship with the mind. It, it is symbiotic. Look up symbiotic. Make sure I'm using that word right. The brain influences the mind. The mind influences the brain. They are, they are intermingled in this life. That's why when your brain does what it does, it is so tempting to you. Now, you can have spiritual temptation from spirit to spirit, evil spirit to you, another spirit speaking to a physical body to you. But generally, your temptation is going to come from your physical brain, fleshly body tempting your spirit. And just like I told you, a dog gets tempted by its physical brain, and it it's, it's reacts by its physical brain and all the emotions of sin, every one of them, selfishness, anger, perversion, and you are much more complicated in your brain and physical makeup than a dog. Symbiotic, please. Involving interaction between two different organisms living in close physical association. Two different things working together. The spirit is not a physical organism, but it is a living being, right? So it interacts with the brain. It inter- uh, the, the, the mind interacts with the brain. The brain interacts with the mind. They have a relationship together, but they are not the same thing. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded. So for me to take my spiritual mind and set it on the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded, to set it on the spirit is life and peace. For the fleshly mind, let's go to the King James. Oh, that is the King James. Uh, to be carnally, you know, carnal. Because, you know, carnal we don't know as well today. That's Sometimes the King James is a little bit more old school. So here it should just say flesh. Uh, go to uh, uh, NIV and see what it says, Romans 8. See, on what uh, governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Isn't this so clear? I'm not upset at anybody. I just want the, the, the error to be out. Get the error out. That's why when I start talking to people, go back to the notes, please. When I start talking to people, they confuse the issue. Just just read 11 and 12 again with me here. What do you think this means? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
What do you think that means? What do you think we have to turn there? But Galatians 5.19, don't do the deeds of the flesh. And those who are now born again have crucified the flesh, the Bible says. And then in James 1.13, it says that evil desires come and tempt you. Well, where do those evil desires come from? The flesh, that Galatians says. This is go to Galatians uh, 5.25. We got to go there. Galatians 5, same, same author. Paul, because it says it so clearly, after the flesh and the spirit, right? It says, since, uh, go, go to verse 24, please. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with what? Its passions and desires. Is it a physical crucifixion? No. It is a mental crucifixion. You're choosing, as Paul said in Romans 8, what you set your mind on. Do you set your mind on the brain and its carnal desires, or do you set your mind on the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit desires, the fruit of the Spirit? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that powerful? Let's go back to Romans 6, please. Look at verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now do you understand? Don't give your body to sin. Don't give your brain to sin. Don't give your tongue and words to sin. Don't give your legs to sin. Don't give your body to sin. It's literally going to start saying the, the instruments of your body, the members of your body. Let's see it in the King James so we can go back there. Go to Romans chapter 6. Look at what it says here. In the King James, it's going to say, don't offer your members. Don't offer your members to sin. And it's talking about your actual parts of your body. You remember how it says we're members of the body of Christ? You know, it uses that language. I just like the King James. We'll go back and forth, you know. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves, make yourself, your spiritual soul in your flesh, make yourself yield unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Let's go back to the notes, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Back to the... The, the Jewish, Jude, uh, the Judaizers were not under law, but under grace. Does that mean we don't take the law of God serious? No, but we're not under it for salvation. We're saved without it by grace through faith. And now we live out the law of God. There's still a law. There's still commandments, but we're not under them. We're with them. They're in our hearts. As Ezekiel said, I'll put a new heart, a new spirit in you, one to move you to keep my law. That's what Galatians says. Against such things there is no law. So the one law is get Jesus and then there's no more laws. In that sense, do you get the law of Christ is love God and love people and you won't be adulterous. You won't do that. You'll just have as much love, as much joy, as much peace as you want. So we're not technically lawless in that sense. It's just there's no law against following these laws to their furthest extent. Verse uh, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So like, because I don't have to follow the Old Testament laws to be saved or even the New Testament laws to be saved, because I'm saved by grace through faith, does that mean I just keep sinning as much as I want? Or because I'm a spiritual soul and a body, does that mean I can do whatever I want in my body? It doesn't count. No. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? So the question is going to come up now, where are you going to give your body to? 
What are you going to give your body to? Sin, the flesh that's in your body? Or are you going to count that as crucified and give your body to the service of Christ? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart, your soul in other words, the pattern of teaching that has now, been, that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Isn't that what Paul talks about? that we're following the Spirit. Now, that's the law, the law of the new covenant is follow the Spirit. Be born again and follow the Spirit. That's it in summary. Love God and love people. You know, you can summarize it a bunch of different ways, and the Bible does summarize it a bunch of different ways, but it's so simple. You are a slave to righteousness, and that's why as much, as I say to people, as much as you were a sinner without Christ is as much as you are a saint now with Christ. Was there any good in me without Christ? No, is there any evil in me now with Christ? No. My spiritual soul has been born again in the image of Christ. Now, can I still sin? Yes, we don't believe in being sinless, though I think sinless should be our example, should be our goal, but we should sin less. We should see in our spiritual growth and development that the lifestyle of sin is less. Verse 19, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So because you guys don't really get it, I'm going to bring it down a few notches for you. That's what Paul said there. Just as you used to, and he's like, let me make it clear. Just like you used to go to the club, just like you used to wild out, now do that stuff for Jesus, but be holy. Give your same energy to this, but be holy. He's like, let me use this as an everyday life example. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you offer up yourself to the Lord, you're holy. You're separated from sin. When you were slaves to sin, see, I don't draw these distinctions. The Bible does. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And that's why I'm going to say now you're a slave of righteousness, you're free from sin. That's his point, not my point. So what? Be, um, go up, please, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from, 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 oh, come on. You now have been set free from sin. Just as when you were wicked, you were free from righteousness. Now that you're righteous, you're free from sin. That's the default position. I need another breakthrough. I need this and that. You shouldn't. If you do, you're doing something wrong. You're doing Christianity wrong. Christianity right. Christianity at the default. Christianity as the, the out-of-the-box setting. You know, like maybe you get one of these tablets and you mess it up. Go back to default. Go back to out-of-the-box settings. Your out-of-the-box settings in Christianity is free from sin. That's why the Bible says who the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus said that in John 8. You have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. So my, my benefit in this is holiness. I don't know how else to say it. Thank you, Paul. And what is the result? Eternal life. Now that sometimes gets confusing to people. They go, well, I thought we already had eternal life. You both have it and you're going to have it. 
Because the physical being united with the spiritual imperfection is the ultimate eternal life. Eternal life, kingdom of God, starts now inwardly, but outwardly it comes at the resurrection when it's united together. How do I know I still have to die and the resurrection hasn't come, as they were saying at that time, and some false groups even say now, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If your body's still dying, you don't have the resurrection yet because it's suffering the wages of death. The wages of death upon your body, or the wages of sin upon your body is death. And your body goes into the grave. But what is the wages of death upon, uh, the wages of sin as death upon your spiritual soul? The second death in the lake of fire, right? So you don't just die and go to a better place. You get two deaths if you don't know Christ. The one physically now, and then the one to come in the lake of fire with a second body, fit for destruction, the Bible says. Just like you get life twice. You get life now, being born again, inside your body, and then you get it at the resurrection when the spirit is united with the body in perfection. Go to Philippians chapter 3. When people try to say, and start around, say, verse 14, that Paul said, well, you know, we're not already perfect. And what, what does that mean, Pastor? Look at what verse 14 says. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, as therefore, as many as perfect, be thus minded. So what is he saying to perfect people? We should have this in mind. Well, go up a few verses. Go up a few verses, please. Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already obtained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I am also already apprehended of Christ Jesus. What is the thing he has not apprehended yet? The resurrection. How do we know it's the resurrection? Go up a few more verses. How do we know? Watch, right here. Verse 10. Go up to verse 10, please. That I may know him and the power of his what? Does he know that yet? Not in fullness and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain unto the what? The resurrection of the dead. Not as though I already attained. What did he say up here he wanted to attain? The resurrection. Bro, I know you're not make, meaning to make it hard, but you're making it hard right now. Just follow my lead. That's okay, brother, but you're making it a little hard on me, okay? And it's also not good to move it when I'm reading. Wait till I get done reading, take a breath, then move it, and I'll, and I'll do that with you, okay? What does he say here? He has... <laughs> we not touch it anymore? Please, thank you. What, what has he said here that he wants to obtain? The resurrection. He wants to obtain what? The resurrection. What does he say he has not already attained? The resurrection. It's the same words, same context. So he says, I haven't already been made perfect. But go back down now again, verse 14. He then says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be what? perfect, same exact Greek word, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, watch this, Jackie, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So he says, we've already obtained the perfection of our souls. That's why we're called saints, holy ones. 
But what we haven't attained is the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're pressing towards. I'm pressing towards that, that I might attain that. Not that I've already attained that and were made perfect in that way. I'm pressing towards it. But I am perfect in this way, and I am going to live up to the perfection that I have already attained while I'm waiting for that which I have not obtained. Isn't that beautiful? Fits right in with Romans chapter 6. Let's go back to the notes, please, in closing. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is upon us now in some ways, and life is upon us now as Christians in some ways. That is the juxtaposition. That is the dichotomy. Not that there's two yous. It's just you, the born-again believer, lives in a body that must die. So we preach this to others, and we should. Hey, man, the wages of sin is death. And then we can use the scripture with that. Once man is appointed, man is appointed once to die, and after that, face judgment. Okay, so you're going to die, and you're going to face judgment for your spiritual soul and what you did in this life. Okay, but guess what? That not only applies to the sinner, this applies to us. We've now received the life. We're telling them receive it. You know, you're going to die, and you need to receive life. And so those of us here, we've already accepted Christ. We've already received life. But what are we still walking around in? A body of death. That's what Paul's going to talk about in Romans 7. He's going to say, and just, um, no, never mind. You don't have to go there now, but it's not in the notes. But in Romans 7, he's going to begin talking about Before I was a Christian, this is what it was like. I couldn't fight against my body. I was a slave to this, and I tried to, you know, crucify my flesh, but I couldn't. And then he's going to go into chapter 8. As we read today, he's going to say, but Jesus set me free. And so even though I have this, this body of death under the law of sin, I'm alive through Jesus. And in another place, he calls this a precious treasure in a jar of clay. So imagine putting something like so valuable in your lockbox. The lockbox may begin to, to like, let's say you put diamond ring in there. The lockbox may begin to get weathered and old and all of that, but that diamond ring will remain valuable. And what Christ is saying is he's going to finish that which he started in us. Though your body is, is, is fading away, that which is inside of you is being renewed day by day. You're going from glory to glory, amen? And so sin is not your nature. Sin was your old nature and your old way of living, your old master. You have a new master, now righteousness. Live for Jesus, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful time in Romans chapter six. May we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to your son, Jesus. May we now live lives in this physical body as slaves to righteousness, Let us not use our flesh as an excuse to sin. And may we not buy into bad or half-true theology, but understand we are who you said we are, and we can do what you said we can do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give it up.